I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ladies and gentlemen, I am excited to have Coot Blackson here today. He is a beloved transformational teacher. He speaks at countless events. He organizes around the world as well as outside events like A-Fest, the Young Presidents Association, Entrepreneurs Organization, and many more. He's a member of the Transformational Leadership Council and was the winner of the 2019 Unity New Thought Walden Award. He is considered one of the next generation leaders in the field of personal development. And his mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access their inner freedom and live authentically to fulfill their true life's purpose. And I am here for that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Coop Blackson to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. Hello, sir. Great to be here, man. Oh, I've been looking forward to it. I am so happy to have you on the show. So I've uh, just attempted to try and introduce people to you, but I'm hopeful that you can, in your own words, introduce uh, yourself to this audience. Tell us a little bit about why you believe yourself to be on this planet and what your mission is while you are here. Yeah, look, uh, in a nutshell, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. I live in the U.S. So for me, I'm a citizen of the world. And from a very young age, I always felt a deep calling to serve humanity. I felt a burning desire to impact people in some way. I remember feeling this feeling from age five, age six, age seven. I was a very sensitive kid, so I wanted to alleviate people's suffering in some way. And so for me, my first memories as a young boy was literally seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, this was the environment I grew up in, week after week, uh, I would see the same man who sand she picked up, look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, hey, stand up, you're not sick. Or he would put his hands on a person that was blind and say, hey, sight be restored or a person with crutches and throw your crutches away and the person would walk. So I grew up around miracles my whole life. And this man was my father. Uh, he built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, had a huge church in London of about 5,000 people. And so because my career started when I was age eight, 
And I was thrown into the audience and my father said, speak, my son's going to give the sermon. I had no idea this was going to happen. I was more interested in soccer and being naughty and words started coming through me, Dave, that just, just something started flowing and that began my journey. And, and I also became very obsessed at that age too, with personal development, spirituality. And my father had all these books on his shelf, uh, everyone from, you know, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson to old school folks like Shakti Gawain and Louise Hay. And, and so I became obsessed with trying to understand the nature of life and who we are and the purpose of life and why are we here? And is it just to wake up, go to sleep, make money and then die? Like surely there has to be more to life. And so when I was 14, uh, I was ordained as a minister and in my father's church, I was given the mandate to take over my father's organization with hundreds of thousands of people in Ghana. But deep in my heart, I knew that that was not my path. I knew that this was not my destiny. You know, that, that, sinking feeling you get when something is not aligned, you know, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's a business deal, like something's not quite right. And so I felt that sinking feeling in my heart, but the truth is uh, I was 14, wanted my dad's love. And I was too afraid to speak my truth at the time to tell my father who I loved dearly. We weren't close, but I idolized. I was too afraid to say, this is not my truth. This is not my path. My fear was if I dared to be myself, if I dared to speak my truth, I'd be outcast. I'd be abandoned. I'd lose his love. I'd be alone. And then what? And so I went, I went forward with it, convincing myself that, yeah, yeah, I want to help people. So why not? And it uh, took me into a, a four-year process of deep turmoil and depression and questioning and soul-searching. And when I turned 18, I decided not to go to university and I looked into my future and I saw two paths. My soul was calling me to the U.S. I wanted to come to the U.S., specifically uh, Southern California, because that's where all of the self-help icons lived. You know, uh, Brian Tracy, uh, Jim Rohn, uh, uh, Marianne Williamson, all these folks lived there. So this was my Mecca, basically. And... I didn't know how I was going to get here, but I felt a calling in my soul. And sometimes I think what our soul guides us to do is not always convenient, but there's a truth there. And I had to have this conversation with my father. I saw my entire life was set out for me. My entire future was set out for me. All the expectations of hundreds of thousands of people. And I looked into my future, age 20, age 30, age 40, age 50, age 60, and I realized I could be successful by everyone else's standards and famous by everyone else's standards. But if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my truth, if I didn't have my own inner integrity, then what the hell do I have? And when I projected into that future, I felt such a pain in my heart, you know, and that's what gave me the courage to have the conversation with my father, tell him I wasn't taking over. That began my entire journey, cut a long story short, won a green card in the lottery, uh, the green card lottery. Uh, that was a sign that I think when we truly follow our truth, when we follow our, our soul, our integrity, our, our authenticity, somehow life begins to support us, you know, and uh, came to the U.S., two suitcases, a thousand dollars, knew no one in the country uh, with a burning desire to inspire people, with a burning desire to, to help people remember who they really were and, and went and found teachers and mentors and all the folks I'd read about, studied with some of them, learned from some of them, harassed some of them, you know, got kicked out. I showed up to some of their houses, they <laughs> saying, hey, I'm here. I've been reading about you since I was 12. You know, Jack Camford was, was one of those guys and just knocked on his door and said, I've been reading about you. He's like, who the hell are you? 
I thought these people somehow knew knew I was coming or something. And uh, that began my journey. And then I started to travel the world as a young man in search of answers, went to India, studied with enlightened, you know, sages, went to Thailand, studied with monks, went to Peru, studied with shamans, went to Israel, studied with rabbis, all in a quest to try to understand who am I and what's the purpose of life. And it was really out of my own journey and coming to a place of inner fulfillment. Like I, as a young man, I had no money, but I was so happy and fulfilled that I had this crazy idea that I want everyone to feel what I feel. And so I just many years ago started working with people one-on-one and that evolved and started to develop a transformational process. And that kept evolving and people started coming from around the world and it just kept growing and evolving and transformation started happening. And it grew from one-on-one to groups and larger groups and evolved to now authoring two books and uh, speaking around the world. So for me, for me, what I do is a calling. And uh, I was a kid who growing up, we didn't have a lot of money and our house was behind my father's church. And so we'd have to, I would literally sneak in, and my bedroom was literally the size of a tiny bathroom, right? And so I would sneak in to my father's church in the middle of the night with the lights off in pitch black at age 11, from 11 to 18. And I would speak and give seminars to the empty chairs, imagining souls around the world being inspired. And uh, so that's where the journey began. And so for me, it's a quest to just inspire people. Unbelievable. Wow. What a lead in. That's a great answer to a, hey, tell me about your journey. There's a lot to unpack. I mean, the one thing I think I start with is there are so many of us that likely relate to this idea that other people maybe have cast a die for how they'd hope for you to follow in either their footsteps or uh, take a path that they maybe have ordained as the right path for you because of what they've likely described as, as love, right? They're saying, hey, I love you enough to help you find your way on this path that I believe will be the thing that sets you up for success. And I, often I, I've really been unpacking this myself in the last year and a half or so. Those people who are telling you that they want you to follow this path out of love are disguising their fear as love, right? Mm-hmm. Like their, their want for you to operate in a certain way or do things in a certain way are, are, are sometimes a more yep. a derivative of their fear than necessarily um, what is connected to your purpose, what's connected to the reason why you were put on this planet. What did your dad say when <laughs> you confronted him, when you decided, hey, you know what, I am uh, respectfully going to decline the invitation to follow in your footsteps and, and continue to build this church? It was the scariest day of my life, Dave. I thought my life was over. I... I, I trembled up the stairs you know sometimes we think that you got to get rid of fear have no fear be fearless i think it's bs i think it takes courage to be fully alive and human you know and and act despite your fears and the courage to not compromise your truth and so i knew i didn't have a choice and i'll never forget my dad was in bed i'm 18 trembling inside and i my dad you gotta understand my dad is is from ghana old school african guy Old school to the old school. It's like my way or my way you choose. That's his fault. He's from the old school. And so uh, I, 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 crawl, I crawl into my dad's bedroom and I said, there's something I need to tell you. And I'm trembling. And I say, you know, I'm not, I don't feel called to take over your church. And I thought he was going to go crazy, like ballistic, scream, shout, throw shit. He said, are you sure? 
So go and and I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 you know, I'm almost. That was a moment where I really wanted to hesitate and go back and like, well, let me think about it. And and I knew that there was no turning back. I could follow the expected path or follow the path of my soul. And I told him, yeah, this is this is my decision. He said, okay. We didn't speak Dave, for two years, so there wasn't. You said, what did he say? There wasn't much said, which was even more painful. For two years. We didn't speak. And I sat there that night and the weeks after in bed, at home, in my room, feeling so alone, feeling so scared, feeling so, you could say, abandoned by the universe. Like I was given this vision at 14, 15. I saw myself reaching people. I was given this vision. And here I am now without any support of anyone except my mother, feeling like universe, God, like what the hell, you know? And it was a rough moment. You know, and, and and so I think sometimes we have this idea that when you find your purpose, things are easy. When you find your yeah. purpose, yeah, yeah. The, the unicorns come out and the violins come out. But I think sometimes when you find your purpose, that's when you're truly tested and the challenges uh, emerge. Not as, and, and many times people make the mistake of thinking that they're on the wrong path when they're facing these challenges. But I actually say you're on the right path because those challenges are simply soul test that I think we have to go through to develop the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, the physical muscles so that we can become the person who is truly capable of fulfilling the vision that we have been put on this planet to fulfill. And so it was devastating to not speak to my father. But when I won that green card in the lottery, that was a sign for me. That was a complete, literally 55,000 green cards given away. And I won a green card. And that was my sign. And even though it was hard, when I came to the US and I was alone and knew, literally knew no one as an 18-year-old kid in Los Angeles with no money, I felt such, it was scary, it was hard, but I felt such a deep peace knowing that I was being true to myself. And that was the peace I had of knowing I was living life on my own terms. And I think one of the things as human beings that stop us from being fulfilled, like you cannot live, you cannot be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not, no matter how good it is. You cannot be truly fulfilled and happy living someone else's life. And I think when we do that, when we betray ourselves, we feel a pain inside. And so I think for me, one of the reasons we stay stuck are all the ways we lie to ourselves. You know, in many ways, we, we lie to ourselves, we BS ourselves, we don't tell ourselves the truth about who we are, about what we feel. We stay in situations like I did with my father, we stay in situations that aren't right, we stay in relationships that aren't aligned, we stay in jobs that is not the reason for why we were put on the planet. And so I think when we feel the pain, and I felt a tremendous amount of pain, Dave, at that time in my life, when we feel the pain, I think pain is a blessing, pain is a signal. Pain is a messenger that we are not living in alignment with our truth. Pain is not bad. Pain is just something inside of us is needing our attention. And when we're not aligned, it's meant to be painful. It's meant to hurt. It's, it's, it's meant to feel like shit. It's meant to feel like crap. It's not meant to feel amazing when we're not living in alignment. And so I would just invite, and these are some questions I kind of asked myself indirectly at that time before I had the conversation with my father, you know, and these are some questions maybe that would be helpful for those listening in is what lies am I telling myself to really just sit with like, what lies am I telling myself? 
what am I pretending to not know? Because many ways we, as human beings, creatures of habit, you know, sometimes we lie to ourselves out of fear, out of comfort, out of convenience, out of self-preservation. And so we sometimes play this game of confusion. Like, I'm confused. I don't know. I don't know what my truth is. I don't know what to do. When deep down, we know. And to sit with what is the cost and the pain of lying to myself. And so I think that's a place to begin. What's really, really interesting is I, I completely connect to this idea that I thought, oh, if I could just figure out what my purpose is, everything's going to fall into place, mm. right? It's all going to feel yeah. easy. It's going to be smoother sailing. It's going to work in a way that it hasn't previously, because now I know that I'm going in the right direction. And as much as there is satisfaction in knowing that you're heading in the right direction, it doesn't come in any way with a guarantee that it's going to be easy. I think the fact that it ends up being hard is just the kind of work that's required to have you become the person that is needed to become in the uh, version of who you are on the other side of whatever it is that you're getting through. But there's also really this interesting conversation about trade-off, right? Because you could have very easily decided to not have to deal with this hard conversation. You could have very easily made your father happy, but the price would have been your truth. And so the idea of just like weighing that trade-off for anyone who in real time is weighing, do I want to make my partner uncomfortable? Do I want to challenge what society has suggested a real man or a good girl does? Do I want to push back against what my family of origin thinks I am destined for? The question you have to ask is, what's the cost of not pushing back? Because the cost for you, right, would have been not being able to experience your truth. It didn't mean it was easy because it certainly wasn't. But you wouldn't have had this experience of being comfortable and confident and having taken care of yourself and, and following your own truth. And there's, it's, it's invaluable to be able to sit with that. Absolutely. Tell me about when you first get to Los Angeles, right? No <laughs> contracts, no college education, very little money, two suitcases. What is what, like, tell me the overcoming story that you had to work through to be able to get to where you are. Wow, man, Dave, we could, we could be here for like four years, but uh, <laughs> I'll condense it. I love the question. Look, I, I was a kid. I was 18, 19. I, 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 I was following the wings of destiny, man. I was following my soul, the undeniable calling in my soul. Imagine I land in LA, two suitcases, no, nobody. I literally tell the taxi guy, shuttle bus guy in LA, take me somewhere safe and cheap where I can stay. He drops me off, freaking Venice Beach. Venice Beach, like this was Venice Beach 20 years ago, not now. It was crazy. I'm I'm crying my eyes out for two weeks. It wasn't like this romantic thing. It was it was difficult. I call my mother up. I'll never forget the first day. I call my mother up and I'm crying. And you know, she, me and her were like this. And so she just said, You can do it, keep going. And I knew I didn't have a net to fall. I knew I didn't have, I knew I couldn't go back. And so I think part of becoming a man is the willingness to face the consequences of your actions, you know, and take full responsibility for yourself. And so I just had to figure stuff out. And it was difficult in the beginning. You know, I, I remember getting a little tiny apartment that was like, I know, 300 square feet, 250 square feet, some tiny little shoe box and pulled a mattress off of the street, Dave, that someone had thrown out. But I was so happy that I had my own space. Like, this was my life. And so it was difficult. 
it was really, really, really difficult. And did odd jobs, you know, got involved in multi-level marketing, and that gave me a lot of connections. But I think there's a moment my life shifted was was in the process of a few years. I remember I was in my room feeling sorry for myself. And it was like, well, I don't have anything. I don't have family support. Look at all the people that have, they have their parents, they have a foundation. I don't have, I have nothing. And I felt, I remember one day I was feeling so abandoned by the universe, abandoned by, so alone, basically. And I was in a, a phase where it was like a, just a pity party, you know? And it was like, I don't know what happened, but it was like a light bulb went off in my brain. It was a moment where a light bulb went off. I think it was a combination of things, but there was a moment when I was sitting there, I was meditating, praying, more like screaming at the universe. And it was like, I heard a voice. It was like a, a voice from within. Cause I was like, no, no one cares about me. And, and, and I'm all alone. And, and I heard this thing that just said, no one owes you anything. I was like, holy shit, I don't want to hear that. I was like, nobody owes you anything. You've been given everything. You know, your dad doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe you anything. Nobody, your mother doesn't owe you anything. Nobody owes you anything. No one's coming to save you. No one is coming to do it for you. And so give it up. Like your father has given you what he's given you and life has given you what it's given you. And so what do you do with that now? And it was like a moment of just, I don't know. It, it was like, it was such a profound moment that I'll never forget sitting on the floor in my apartment, having this light bulb moment. And that began the process of me taking responsibility for my life, truly saying, you know what? I'm no longer going to blame my father, blame anyone else. I'm going to take responsibility. And, and here's what happened. From then, I started my healing journey. I had so much anger and resentment towards my father. So I started a, a deep healing journey and I went to this men's seminar, men's weekend, you know, running through the woods kind of thing and uh, beating drums and sweat lodge. And I really got to process my anger, my unresolved anger towards my father. I had a lot that I didn't even know I had. And it was, it was eating me up inside and got to a place of really forgiving my father during this weekend. It was really perfect in tears. I was just, 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 I love this man. It doesn't matter what he's done or hasn't done. I just, I just love him and forgave him. The next day, sounds like a fairy tale, but I swear it's true. The next day, after years of not speaking to this man, he calls me up. Wow. And he says, I was completely shocked. And he says, I, I just have this feeling that we need to talk. We just have a, I have a feeling that we need to talk. And that started a whole process of healing and freedom that was really, really, really powerful. And I think the energy of that forgiveness started to, to, to shift the energy inside of myself, which shifted the energy of life and life started opening up. And I didn't realize how carrying this resentment and this victimhood and this blame was actually blocking the energy in my life. And so that was a really profound moment. So interesting. It's really, what's interesting too is I think we both in some ways and in, in similar ways in different ways are trying to use the gifts that we've been given to help other people figure out what they're calling on this life of ours is. I've talked about this idea of honoring the intention of our creator as the thing I'm trying to do every single day. I know I was made with deliberate design. I want to try every day to honor that design. But if someone right now is struggling to find their inner calling, what's the kind of advice that you give to them to help them claw closer to it? I'm going to go a little esoteric and spiritual okay. for a second. 
then I'm going to come down and get a little granular and really like practical. Okay. What I would say first is stop looking for your purpose. Stop for a moment. Sometimes seeking your purpose can be, uh, can be, not always, but can be a sneaky way of the ego to continue seeking. You see, the ego wants to continue, the ego wants to seek and seek and seek and seek and seek and never really find. And so I would say, stop seeking for your purpose. And from a spiritual level, realize that you are a soul that has incarnated in this human existence. And this very moment that you're living right now is your purpose. As souls, I I feel we are here to learn, to grow, to evolve, to learn, to grow and evolve. And life really is the uh, evolutionary university or school Every relationship, every situation is the school for our soul's growth and evolution. And so, if anything, I actually believe that every moment of life is your purpose. So long as you are, regardless of what you're doing, so long as you are learning the lessons where you are with who you're with in each moment, in every situation, and you're growing, you're evolving, you're learning the lessons, you're living the purpose for why you were ultimately spiritually born, which is the evolution of your consciousness, the evolution of your soul, to wake up to who you really are, your true identity. So everything in every moment, no matter what you're doing, can be your purpose so long as you're evolving. So that's kind of spiritual. On a, on a human level, I also say stop seeking your purpose. I would invite people to move in the direction, to move in the direction of what you love, move in the direction of what lights you up, move in the direction of what makes you most alive. For me, it was like, I was doing this stuff for free. I was speaking in empty rooms, it, it pitched black for hours and hours, they inspiring empty chairs, visualizing souls around the world. I was literally doing it for free, but it turned me on, man. It, it lit me up. I was like, I want, I, I want to do this. I would do this even if I wasn't getting paid. That was the feeling. Like That was my aliveness. And I think we have to feel what, what brings us joy, what, what brings us aliveness, what sets our soul on fire and move in that direction. If we say, so I'll say, you don't have to know where you're even going or what your calling is to begin going in the direction of your calling. But take a step in the direction of your liveness, of your joy. You take a step, what I found is life meets you. Life reveals to you what's next when you take a step. And then you take another step, life reveals to you what's next. You take another step and you keep taking another step. And every step of the way you grow, you learn, you evolve, you become more. You grow, you learn, you evolve, you become more. Then you're worthy of more responsibility. And then life shows you more, life gives you more. And what I found is you might find yourself living into your purpose rather than figuring out your purpose from this standpoint up front, because we're only able to project and figure something out based on the current level of our consciousness and evolution. And so I think purpose and how it express, expresses is evolutionary in nature as we grow and we evolve. So what our purpose might be now won't be what our purpose is in five years or 10 years. It's going to evolve and expand as our consciousness grow, evolves and expands. So move firstly, move in a direction of what you love, go in the direction, life will, will reveal itself to you. I would also say, really look at 
what specific, uh, let's get practical for a second. Let's look at what specific skills you have. Look at your life experience. Look at your successes. Look at your failures. Look at your failed relationships. Look at your failed businesses. Look at, look at, look at your pain, your hurt, your trauma. I believe that every single thing that we have gone through in our life is part of the ingredients that the cosmic chef is using to prepare us to be served to the world. And so everything we've been through is for a reason. Even that job that you hated, even that relationship didn't work out, even that situation that you thought was a waste of time, there was likely something in that that was a puzzle piece that was needed to prepare you, to season you to be ready. And so I think if we really look at, okay, what skill sets do I have and have I learned from all of those jobs and situations and experiences from, from, from my past, I believe that ultimately we can learn from that and bring those skills to the table. So what skills do I have? The other thing I'd invite people to just marinate on, meditate on, sit with is really looking at what unique problems am I gifted at solving? You know, I think our ability to make money is really a function of adding value. And we add value when we solve a pain, problem, or challenge. And so when we look at what problems we are uniquely good at solving, many times we don't value our skills. We don't value our gifts because they come easily to us. Ah, I, I can do this in my sleep, but for someone else, it's a challenge. So I think we have to start seeing and appreciating ourselves for those unique gifts. And lastly, I would invite people to sit with what group of people, right? Do you feel a connection to? What group of people do you feel an affinity to? Maybe you're someone who you feel a connection to the elderly or the blind or teenage mothers or single mothers or single dads, or, you know, you you feel a connection to a certain group of people. I believe we have that connection for a reason that might also point us in the direction of where our purpose lies based on who we are here to serve in this lifetime. And so I think those are a few things, but I would ultimately say if you, we, we have to be willing, because I hear many people say, I want to, I want to, Dave, I want to do this huge thing. I want to impact millions of people. I want to create this revolution. But I would actually say, but I don't know what it would look like. Start exactly as you are, where you are right now, without nothing has to change. So respond to the need in the moment. Many times we want to have a huge impact, but we don't respond to the need in the moment. You yeah. know? And so if we look around in our life and go, Wow, I want to have this huge impact in the world and save all the whales and all the children. But my neighbor, who's 85 years old, she needs help. I'm not even responding to that. If we don't respond to what's in front of us, how will we be truly ready to respond to the bigger platform and the bigger needs? So start where we are. And that might mean you make sandwiches for the homeless person. You know, that might mean you just take your neighbor shopping who can't, who, who, who's elderly. Start where you are with, with what you have, then I believe life gives us more. And so that's where I, where I think we can start. And then we're taken on a journey. Yeah, I love it. I mean, there's a couple of things in there that I just, I so connect to. One, I, Heidi and I were playing a card game where we're trying to get to know each other over the course of time. And I was asked to describe myself in three words. My three words were work in progress in that I, in this pursuit to fully unlock why I am on this planet, am every day evolving towards something that doesn't have a destination, right? I'm, I'm going to just keep becoming. I think it's interesting, the idea that your purpose today will be different than your purpose in a year, will be different than your purpose five years from now. 
there's something really interesting about that to stay connected to just because your purpose morphs as you continue to evolve as a person. There's something I think great about that, but also the, the, the there's, you know, any of us inside of this space, we tend to teach on somewhat similar topics, but it, it comes back to where's your passion? What are you great at? And how can you have impact? I mean, like if you can just stay connected to those things, you're going to find yourself more connected to purpose and more connected to fulfillment than if you push away from or evolve in any way away from what you love, what lights you up, the things you're great at, and the way that you can actually affect the people that are in your life in real time. Such, such good advice. I appreciate that. I've heard you talk about this idea of liberated living. Will you tell me a little bit about what liberated living means? You know, it means really living in touch with the freedom of what we are freedom of our being, being free. To me, real freedom is not simply a function of what you have out here in the world, because everything in the world is transitory. It comes and it goes. And if our freedom is just based on what's out here, then it will go up and down based on life and the world and the stock market and the bank account and the weather and what have you. And I think freedom is an inner state of being, of being in touch with who we really are truly, authentically, our essence, our, our soul, our light, our being. And so, you know, as children, I think we're born for it. As children, we are, I think there's a reason you look, we look into a child's eyes, you know, and we melt. We're reminded of that purity, that innocence. A child will jump on a table. It's not thinking about, am I fat? Am I, you know, am I, well, did, did they like me? It's just, at first, anyway, until conditioning happens, it's just being free. It's singing and what have you and, and just being itself, right? And so as, 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 when we're born into this incarnation, into this physical dimension, this world, we're born into a certain framework, a preset framework. Our parents, our grandparents, generational patterns, uh, religion, culture, media, etc. So we're born into this framework that's preset, conditioned. Then also we're born into, to some degree, some level of dysfunction. We mean our parents and, you know, they're doing the best that they can do based on their history and their childhood. And they're just doing the best that they can do. And so we're born into some level of, of dysfunction where maybe there's pain, there's trauma, maybe there's abuse, mental illness, maybe they're around, maybe they're not around. Maybe there's alcoholism, there's mental illness, there's fighting. Maybe our parents were good people, but they just, didn't know how to meet our emotional needs in some way, you know? And so two things happen. As children, we begin to shut down, disconnect, and not feel as a survival mechanism the, the, the pain of what is going on in our environment. So we shut down, disconnect, not feel. We begin to suppress and stuff our feelings and emotions. And then we learn uh, a sort of way of being in the world to, to the sense of, okay, who do I need to be? in order to, to get love. Oh, who do I need to be to get love from mom? Who do I need to be to get love from dad? Who do I need to be to get love from the world, to get love, validation, approval, connection, you know, accolades. And so we start to contort ourselves to be who we think we need to be. And we contort ourselves into a shape to avoid pain, to get love. And we become this person, uh, for me, growing up, 
uh, I became the nice guy, you know, the preacher's kid, right? I became, I was the preacher's kid, became the nice guy, became the, the yes person, became the responsible one, the perfect one. And we start controlling ourselves into this person. We start developing all sorts of roles and masks and personas and a certain character to, to, to survive yeah. and to function. And we begin to disconnect from the, you could say, liberated, free state of our being that we were in touch with once as children. Yeah. And so I think part of freedom is to realize, number one, that we are actually conditioned and the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not really free. And so part of freedom is to actually have the courage to question, who am I? And what do I really believe? And is who I am, who I really am, or is it just what I've been conditioned to be because the degree to which we're living in our conditioning is the degree to which we aren't liberated. We don't have the free choice. And so really what I'm saying is we are not our conditioning. We are not our past. We are not our personas, our patterns, our addictions, our identities. What we really are is the, the free essence of our being. That's what we really are. We've just sometimes lost touch with that through the layers and layers and layers of conditioning that we have been programmed in from childhood. And so liberated living is living in the world uh, from that free place, living in the world as the freedom of your being, removing some of those layers. Ah, wouldn't that be amazing? Living free from societal pressure, living as your true free self. Goodness gracious. <laughs> so I know you had a book that came out not terribly long ago. It was called The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. If a listener were to grab The Magic of Surrender, what can they expect to get? And uh, how, why did you write it? What's, what was the purpose of putting this out in the world? Yeah, th th this was actually, they, it wasn't the book I thought I was going to write. I had all of these ideas of the book I thought would be a bestseller and the book I thought would people would love, you know. And I remember writing on a whiteboard hundreds of ideas and titles, and that's great, that's sexy, that would sell. And literally one day, I, I, I felt the soul of the book just drop in. It was like, boom, it's surrender. It's like, whoa. And I resisted it for a moment because I thought, I don't know if that would sell. I don't know about that. The people want to surrender. I mean, it can be a little scary to let go and surrender. And, and so I had to surrender to the book that was seeking to be written rather than the book I thought I should write. And so the book, I think, was inspired. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, in 2016, my first book came out, did very well. Uh, you are the one. But during that time, at the end of my book tour, I got a phone call from my father saying, your mother has cancer. And it was a very challenging moment. And I was living in Los Angeles. So I started to fly back and forth between LA and London. And I'd be with my mother during her chemo sessions. And I'd sit with her and be with her. And we'd spend time together. And it turned out to be the most amazing year. And I learned so much. And the doctor said one day, months into the process, there's nothing else we can do. Like, this is it. Basically, in a nice way, they say, you're going to die, get your affairs in order. And it just devastated me. You know, I had planned to save my mother. <laughs> I had planned to fix her, get her well, heal her. And I realized no matter what I do, no matter what I pray, meditate, green juice I give her, she's going to die. Like, this is it. And so it took me into a moment of really having to let go and surrender. And when I really surrendered, 
to the reality of what was happening, no resistance. It freed me up to be so fully present with her. Like every moment was precious. Yeah. Every conversation could have been the last conversation. And I asked my mother, how do you feel? Two things she said. Number one, she's like, I said, are you afraid? She said, no, I'm not afraid because I know I'm not this body. I'm more. And then I said to her, what can I do for you as your son to make your last days easier? And this was a very interesting statement. She said, there's nothing you can do and there's nothing that I want. All I want is what God wants for my life. I was like, whoa, what? whoa. She goes, all I want is what God wants. And I realized in that moment that the key to her peace during this, and she was at peace, Dave, like peaceful, calm, didn't feel like a victim, didn't cry, didn't complain, didn't feel woe is me. And I realized the key was because she surrendered. She wasn't attached to living. She wasn't attached to dying. She was at peace for whatever her journey was. And I think in our culture, now you look at Jesus' brother, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, you know, Mandela, uh, Martin Luther King, at some point, they all came to a place of surrendering. They all surrendered themselves to a purpose bigger than themselves, to allow life to live them, live through them. And what life was able to do through them, I feel was more than anything that they could have done on their own. But in our culture, we have this misconception that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that if you surrender, you're going to be a doormat, you're going to be left behind. If you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, dreams, and desires. What I'm actually saying is if you surrender, what if you got more? Like more than you can imagine, maybe not what you expect, right? It may not take you on the journey you thought. Yeah. But what if you, what if you got more, like something better than you could imagine? And so, just to be clear, surrender is to let go of control, at least the control that we think we have, but we don't really have. So, surrender is letting go of control. Surrender is to let go of trying to force life into some some kind of limited idea of what we think it should be and who we think we should be. Surrender is to let go of the life that we think we should be living so that we can truly allow the beauty and the organic magnificence of the life that is seeking to express through us to happen. And I really feel when we surrender, letting go leads to more and uh, allowing life to lead us. That's, that's really the process of surrender. Oh my goodness. So good. I love that. If everyone could just have a little bit of surrender, there would be so a much, little bit, just so much more freedom, so much more peace. Yeah. All right. Uh, if someone is not currently inside of your world, doesn't know as much about you, but wants to know more, where do you live on the interwebs? What's your oh, handle thanks. on the social media networks? How can people sure. follow you on online? Sure. Yeah. My website, coopblackson.com, K-U-T-Blackson.com. You can find out all my info there and events and all of, all of that good stuff. Uh, Instagram, Coop Blackson. I'm available. Say hi. Uh, and Facebook, Coop Love Now. Say hi. Excellent. All right. We finish every episode of the Rise Together podcast with a similar question. I want to ask you as a guest to share one key takeaway with this audience. It can be an idea a question, an actionable piece of advice. What's the single thing that you would leave with our listeners today? You are going to die. I want you to sit with that. You are going to die. If you really feel that, I invite everyone to make death your friend. We often live like we're going to live forever, but the truth is tomorrow is not a right. None of us know when that moment will come. You know, the people in 9-11, the people who died last year, the people in an earthquake, 
none of them woke up that that morning thinking that they weren't going to come home that day and look their loved ones in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, or I love you. And so if death came right now, today, this moment, and I hope we all live a long life, but if death came, would you be ready? And if not, why not? What's ungiven? What's unexpressed? What's unforgiven? What are you holding on to that you need to let go of? Because we don't have, we don't necessarily, tomorrow's not guaranteed. And if we died and we met our maker, we can't go to God and say, God, can I get a refund on those five years that I wasted in that relationship? Can I get a refund on those three years that I wasted in that job that I hated? There's no refunds in life. And so I would invite you to sit with, how would I need to live life so I have no regrets? No regrets. And if death came right now, would I be ready? And if not, why not? This life is precious. Every moment is precious. Let's live it fully, folks. This is it right here, right now. It's not a dress rehearsal. This is it. So make death, not in a morbid way, but make death your friend. Feel it, breathe it, and let it inspire you to live every moment as a sacred gift and opportunity. This is it right here, right now. Let's go. Coop Blackson, you are bringing the heat, my man. I so appreciate you being on the episode today. I, Thank uh, you. Thanks for having man, me. Man, I encourage every one of you as listeners, take a picture of the episode that you're listening to in real time. Tag myself, tag Coot. Make sure that you tell us something that you took away from the episode. Tell all your friends about it too. Make sure that they give it a listen. And between now and next week, do not take that tomorrow is a guarantee for granted. Live like you're going to die. We'll see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.